So what is Native American Land Conservancy? So what we do is we protect and preserve and acquire, we're out to acquire lands that are considered sacred to indigenous people. And not even only here in the Coachella Valley or high desert, it's everywhere. We have different interests pulling us different places, always on the lookout to assist in the fight for land back. Basically to protect these areas and to manage them where we can. In some cases, maybe that would even mean giving them back to the tribe and that would be great. Sometimes though, like this place is traditional shared use. So in order to keep everybody at peace, keep everybody happy, we're happy to step in and manage it and make sure that we can all come here and use it and not and get away from those terms like territory and yeah. ours, our land. We moved throughout everywhere. And yeah, we had skirmishes. There were different things going on here and there. But all in all, we were moving over everything. We had different seasons. We go up the hills, down the hills. So it's all good stuff. <laughs> Needles, the Desert Protection Podcast, with your hosts, Chris Clark and Alicia Pike. Hello, and welcome to 90 Miles from Needles, the Desert Protection Podcast. I'm Chris. We here in the California desert were lucky this year in that we had a spectacular display of desert wildflowers as a result of a fairly wet winter. I know this is true for other parts in the desert as well. And as happens pretty much every time there's a good bloom the last few years, this bloom opened up discussion of social media, geotagging of photos, gatekeeping, who gets access to these beautiful places, who gets to be in the know about where the botanical action is. And this episode, as it turns out, is itself an exercise in gatekeeping. We spent some time talking to our friend Elizabeth Page of the Native American Land Conservancy and the group Save Our Springs, who has a thing or two to say about why gatekeeping might not be the entirely bad thing it's sometimes made out to be. We met up with Elizabeth in a place that is kind of the epicenter of gatekeeping for one California desert community. We will not specifically identify it. People that live nearby know where it is. It's a property that the Native American Land Conservancy monitors for appropriate use. It is a significant cultural site, a spring with lots of petroglyphs, and it has also been abused over the generations by the descendants of settlers. We talked with Elizabeth about that, about the flowers that we were seeing in bloom there, about what it's like to be an indigenous person in the conservation field, both in agencies and in nonprofit organizations. And in general, we just had a really nice conversation and time hanging out. We think you will enjoy hearing what Elizabeth had to say. Before we start out, though, we are becoming a nonprofit. We have an application in to the IRS for a 501c3 status, and we are very anxious to put our new board of directors to work and to offer you the possibility of tax-exempt donations working with your donor-advised fund, just the whole range of things that we can do with a nonprofit status. And look for more news on that in episodes to come. In the meantime, 
we couldn't do this without you. We have a new easy way for you to donate, either a one-time gift or a recurring donation. Pick up your phone and text the word NEEDLES to 53555. You'll get a link that allows you to donate. You can save that link and donate later. Check it out, see how it works. We just want to make it as easy as possible for you. All right, let's go off to that undisclosed location and our conversation with Elizabeth Page from the Native American Land Conservancy and Save Our Springs. So who are you? Hello everyone. I'm Elizabeth. I'm a Desert Cahuilla person, member of the Torres Martinez Band of Cahuilla Indians. Been in Southern California my whole life, and I choose to be here for the rest of my whole life. <laughs> and I am, I'm the Education and Stewardship Program Manager for the Native American Land Conservancy. So I've worked in conservation now for about seven years, and I came from a background in just living my life, just paycheck to paycheck, and not really getting much out of what I was doing, which was banking for a while. There's a few other little odd jobs in there. Basically just been working all my life, just like my mom, just like my grandma. I didn't grow up on the reservation. I grew up kind of on the reservation because I was in Palm Springs, but not near my particular tribe, which is more Eastern Coachella Valley. But I do remember going out to the res for doings, for meetings and holidays and things like that. But I was pretty much the only Indian kid in my class and which can always be awkward <laughs> so yeah and then so while living off the reservation my mom had to work my grandma had to work and so they were always working never really had the opportunities to go camping like I didn't start camping till I was in my late 20s and that's a little long ago now but because <laughs> everybody was always working and and I fell into that too just because life happens and but then a few years ago I just got to a point where I was just burning out the whole am I, is, am I anything more will I ever be anything more than I was today so I always felt this kind of need to go back onto the land because I have these good memories of my grandma gathering like barrel cactus buds and, and things like that and she wouldn't teach me the language much she tried sometimes and there there are moments when you're little and you just don't want to you don't want to hear it and you're just a little scrappy kid who's again the only Indian in your class and this kind of feels more isolation it gives you that more of a feeling of isolation so I was resistant to it and then on her side too she was told in school like no you don't speak that language <laughs> but I'd always hear her get together with the older ladies out from from the res and they'd be talking I'd always be interested but it didn't really take hold until that point in my life where I was just like I got to do something else yep. like I have to just do more because I feel that tie I feel that and I'm not like that, that at all. I'm really pragmatic. I wanted to be going to science when I was small. But, so it's always, it's, there's a line for me. I don't know, it's, I feel it. I feel like the energy, but I also don't wanna sound all new agey or something. <laughs> Just cause that's a whole other issue too. 
I imagine so. <laughs> Here in the high desert where, you know, people want to tap into an energy that they don't necessarily understand. And it's not about that. It's not about gatekeeping that either. But that's ours. That's our culture is our humanity. So yeah, I just started taking desert ecology classes and volunteering a lot of time. At the same time I was working too, I had two part-time jobs. Plus I made time to volunteer because at that time that was expected. I think things are really changing now and it feels good to be finally be in the position to offer these types of jobs. Our site monitors, they make a good amount for what they do. And it's great, it's a great thing to do to be out in nature, to be taking care of it. And I think even just seven years ago that you wouldn't get paid, like uh, you wouldn't get paid. It would just be expected for you to volunteer your time. Yep. So I did do a lot of that and through school. I got in a work study kind of program with doing avian mortality surveys. I did the Mojave Desert Land Trust internship. Yes, I did that and it gave me a little boost. And then of course, I was always talking my coworkers ears off about the desert and come out with me, come out hiking with me and I'll show you, I'll show you that the desert is not just this place that you've defined in your mind. <laughs> like you have to look carefully and lovingly to see everything. And that's what you learn. It, even just wildflower season. I know it's a big thing to be like, oh, you just can't be a friend of the desert during wildflower season, but that's a gateway drug. It's totally a gateway drug. <laughs> Learn everybody's name and then you start looking for them the next year and year after year. And then even in that, you find new ones during the winter because you get fascinated and <laughs> like just drawn into their whole life cycle. You know that just because the desert is sleeping or dry and hot during the summer, it's not dead, it's not gone. They become like friends, really? Yeah, I like they do. to make mm -hmm. specific trips to visit certain plants or colonies of yeah. lichen or just to see, like the chuck wall, mm -hmm. just to see how are you doing? Are you out? Would yes, you out? absolutely. It's there are definitely sites that I've been working at, I've had the opportunity to work at, and now I like regularly visit. And that kind of came along with after, I'm still technically a student, <laughs> but I, I got a job with the Coachella Valley Conservation Commission. So their primary, primary function or my concern was the CVMSHCP, the Coachella Valley Multi-Species Habitat Conservation Plan. So in that there's a tremendous amount of acreage that is dedicated to conservation that will never be developed on. So it's my job to get to know it and manage it in a way, help manage it. <laughs> that was when I was a baby program assistant, <laughs> which is only last year. But it was just so wonderful to be out in those spaces that I hadn't been acquainted with. So when I was on certain sites, I got that feeling again. Wait, we're here somewhere, we're here. And it was even during the field job where I found a pestle, a mortar pestle stone. And this is sitting at the base of wind farms and uh, like under turbines. So now we were here, we're still here. And even though that if we were all given these lines to live within or to say that they're ours, not even ours, like on reservations, it's not like that. It was all still, <laughs> it was part of our life way, this whole desert. It's not only these spaces that we're in right now, it's everywhere. I really felt that connection and I, visit these areas so frequently. And so I think during that year, I'd been talking with 
Dr. Bob. He was encouraging me like, hey, uh, why don't you come over to the Native American Conservancy? <laughs> yeah, last year I, they had a position and it sounded amazing. So I applied and here I am. And it really did encompass everything that I wanted to do. I wanted to be on these traditional spaces. I wanted to take care of these traditional spaces. I want to continue doing what I like to do, which is making friends with all, every plant and animal that I see, but also sharing that with indigenous people for indigenous people and making that reconnection to these places that we don't necessarily, it's not that we don't go here anymore, but it's hard to feel welcome. A lot of different spaces, but we know that we were here for a long time. So yeah, that's what I love to do. Just make that reconnection. And I'm able to do that with this particular job right now. I'm able to do some really wonderful things and even just a few weeks ago out of Bonanza Spring. So just by way of explanation here, Elizabeth and I make a number of references to an event at Bonanza Spring that involves some young folks and their families. What that's talking about is a Save Our Springs event at Bonanza Spring, which is threatened by the Cadiz water mining project. And at the Save Our Springs event, to which I was invited, I was glad to take part, the primary focus of the event was getting families from the Chamoevi Reservation out to the spring to see it. Bonanza Spring is extremely important to the Chemoevi, but because of lack of access, some of the grown-ups in the crowd, and certainly most, if not all, of the young people, had not had a chance to see Bonanza Spring yet. And so when we refer to the kids clambering around the rocks at Bonanza Spring, we had a bunch of six and seven and eight-year-olds out there, a couple of older kids, and it was just a spectacular experience I was privileged to take part in. Just like, I'm not a kid person, I but I love sharing with kids. And just seeing them just crawl all over the place, <laughs> crawl all over the desert and knowing that that's the same thing that their ancestors did when they were little and their ancestors before them in this cultural space that is public lands. It's inherently indigenous. Yeah. yeah, that was a pretty remarkable event. And I am not particularly a kid person either. Generally, I have a limit of about an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. And it that was, was great. No was, shade at all. It's just... It was so cool. They were totally into it. <laughs> yeah. It was very sweet. Have you been here recently? It has been a few months, and I haven't gone in this way for probably 10 years. Flowers. There's lots of flowers. Have you seen any torts up here in the last little bit? No torts, but the chucks are coming out strong. Mm, nice. Big the chunk. What? The chuckwallas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love those guys. So we'll probably see our site monitor, Sharon, who's amazing. <laughs> She's been great. She, like, loves to holler at people. <laughs> like, very, get off those rocks. Wow. <laughs> That's great there's someone around, though. Yeah, we have a couple of them now and we're still looking for one for the old woman's now that sounds like a great job though volunteer heckler like, yeah. you just stand out in nature and surreptitiously holler at people when they start breaking the rules yeah and just That's a lot of it is <laughs> i'm sure there's a lot of other stuff involved but yeah it can be a little annoying a little cottontail Davut. Davut. Now, where would these tracks come from? Jerks. Okay. Yeah. They're still not on our property, but 
still it sucks because they feel they can just come in here and do whatever they want all the time because and that's really not appropriate for no, this area no and that's what we get to like my family's lived here all our lives we can do this mm. we always came here try thousands of years ago we've been coming here yeah <laughs> morning look at him sitting up there he's so cute who's sitting up where quail oh sitting up on top of the rock morning <laughs> wow look at all that purple clustered yeah. over there we got a lot of phacelia waterfalls around here phacelia falls <laughs> that's lovely Ooh, nice that. pretty winter here. oh I'm the official, I think, trail photographer for the <laughs> podcast. So Chris never seems to take his phone out, so. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. He's in charge of recording and I'm in charge of documenting, I think. I'll take that role. The chuck walla crawled into the crack right above your head. Oh. So pretty. Ooh. So pretty. Nice. Yeah, he's in there. You can see his tail. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I'm gonna eat you. We're gonna make tacos. Go he says, way. ah, you can get me. <laughs> oh, a nice slow mallow in there. Yeah. Oh, that's the first bloom I've seen of the season on a mallow. All the ones by my house are just still with the buds. Aww. Yeah, I wait eagerly for the mallows to come out. <laughs> they are one of my favorites. I adore them. We had a real big one come up after a flood and for the two years that it was thriving, it was my little bee motel and I'd visit it every night and look at the <laughs> bees go into bed and watch the little petals close around them and it just brought me so much joy. Yeah. So I planted one in a cage, so now I can <laughs> forever look at it, not just That was one nature. of the first things I showed to my coworkers when I used to work in, God, it only, it seems like so many years ago, but it was like only six years ago, I was in banking. And I was like, look at this bee sleeping in a flower. <laughs> Tell me you want to do this for the rest of your life. Right. They are the definition of how to do it. Yes. Ooh, what's that? It's tobacco. Oh. Yeah. So it's very... Mmm. Mmm. Very sweet plant. I tend not to share it with everybody though, because they'll come and they'll take. Once they look for the white sage and don't find it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I like to point at Phasalia. Oh, maybe it's over there. Yeah. <laughs> we won't share that photo with the world. We'll keep yeah. that one pretty to us. They can go look it up themselves. We are com yeah. completely fine with just having this be some anonymous, important cultural site somewhere. <laughs> yes, you can, yeah. I have no shame in being a gatekeeper to sensitive ecological data. <laughs> no shame. Gatekeeper. Gatekeeper, keeping them close. <laughs> There's a lot of hate on the internet for gatekeeping. It's like, 
to be available to everyone. Like, you know, within reason, there's, we have to keep the desert secret sometimes. Enough people know about this place already. Yeah, I just recently brought in a class from California Indonesians College and I love bringing them here. They always, they tend to be small classes because it's the lab part and some people like there's accessibility issues or maybe they can't make the drive up here, but it's just like always a real treasure when I find native people and I'm like, look, look, it's us. <laughs> At this point, Alicia noticed some petroglyphs that were well high up on the rock wall containing most of the rock art, a good 75 feet above the surface of the wash, and certainly higher than most people could climb, let alone reach. So would those have been more accessible at the time they were... Yeah, because the sand has been going up and down throughout thousands of years with the water. So while there are stories of, were our people that tall? Yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> the sand was <laughs> giving them a little boost. And we can get that tall again. Eat your native foods, you can grow that tall. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And what would this have been? Like a signpost or a... Usually, yeah, they're pretty much signposts. People like to say art, different ways of saying it, but these are, this tells a story of where you go to next. Mm. If you're looking, if you're traveling the desert thousands of years ago, you're making your way to the ocean or you're making your way up north, you need to know where to find water. So you'd come to places like this because your grandparents came here, your great-great-grandparents came here. And then when you get here, you see those signposts or roadmaps. It's a roadmap. Nice. Affirming you have found your way to the right yeah. place. Keep going. And it's obvious too, because you know, we have all these various water tanks throughout the desert and to know where they are is just, you gotta survive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that story is passed down from generation to generation where you can find the water across all of our tribes too. So traditional use area, shared traditional use areas. That's what these are. It's a really beautiful space. And the thing is, these are everywhere. These are literally spread out all over the park, public lands and everywhere. So I've seen these same kind of coordinating sig signals like 120 miles away down going toward Blythe and then also about 30 miles that way going up toward Pioneer Town. They're everywhere and they all tell the same story. They're all telling the same roadmap. So I think we should probably go up. There's this little ridge where you can go up and look over everything. Yeah. It's quiet. Okay. Morning. Nice. Little baby. Oh, so pretty. Hold on. <laughs> These perfect little gardens couldn't be curated any better. It's just yeah. absolute perfection. Oh, and a buddy. Oh, Chonk. Mm. Look at that Chonk. Someone else who says Chonk. Well, my dog's name is Chonk. <laughs> I love to call my dog Atlas Chonker. Oh. And he's my little Chonklets. Oh, it's Chonk. I say that too to her. I call her like, she's always hot. I'm like, oh, my hot Chonklet. That's my hot little Chonky gal. And when I'm out with Chris and he shows me some big old desert plant, I'm like, oh, that's a chonker. Oh, is this a poppy? Pale yellow sun cup. Pale yellow sun cup. There's poppies around here, and there's a lot of poppies around here. Poppies and lilies, I just love them. I love them all, really. <laughs> Get me wrong. 
Wow, the visual intensity of the blue I know. of all of these. It almost hurts your eyes sometimes. Yeah. Intense. Money. Now, are these white people named Canterbury Bells? Is that what? Yeah, Canterbury Bells. And then what bells. did you call them earlier? Phacelia. The Phacelia? Yeah, okay. I don't know our name for I them. like to know all the names <laughs> possible that are out there. Yeah. Oh, buckwheat. Oh, these guys are flowering. Mirabilis. Mirabilis. Wishbone plant. What a beauty. I don't think I've ever smelled you before. Come here. Do they smell? Do they have a... Very light. <laughs> Very light and, I don't know, it almost has a perfume element, but it's so faint. There's some whispering bells over there. Oh. So pretty. Over go here too. Ah! Oh, they're so pretty. Yeah, they're very drippy. Like those <laughs> little flower faces, they're like blue. Gosh, so delicate. Blue. Not much of a smell there. Little bit of a B.O. undertone. Oh, I love these. Oh, these nice. are Stargillia. The beaver tail getting ready to show off. Oh yeah, I've seen a few of those popping off. Oh, probably right up here. Hello? Okay, nobody's gonna come out and bite me. <laughs> Poppies. <laughs> ah. There we go. We have arrived at just the right spot, apparently. I just love you. You're so beautiful. Yeah. So nice to see you. <laughs> nice view of knowing a peak. Yeah. I think that should be part of the foundational training when you're being raised yeah. from kindergarten through high school, those formative years of training. They need to teach us how to take care of ourselves, yes. first of all. <laughs> I feel like I didn't learn and okay they'll teach you how to do math and balance your checkbook just do the bare basics of physical exercise that's all i felt like I and got. even then it's not enough when we were growing up too we didn't really learn about any of this stuff and it's basis species management and all the issues that we face in conservation because it's there are so many people just have this image of tree huggers and environmentalists and granola eaters and it's just no we it's a very complex system full of Everybody, everybody's different. Everybody's coming at it from a different angle because of what they feel is important, like recreation. That does, that's not only climbers, that's also the OHVers and different things like that. And you have to be able to sit in a room with everybody and coordinate at the same time. Stuff that's special to me is directly impacted by that recreation. It can be a challenge challenging <laughs> but it's one of those challenges that I feel like if it's met with love that sounds super cheesy but when you're bringing that energy and attitude to these mm -hmm. difficult conversations it tends to disarm the really hard edge that you might be coming up against and if you can mm -hmm. somehow lead by example and that side can calm the hell down and you've calmed the hell down it's, we can talk about your issues we can talk about my issues we can straddle compromise and conversation without my way or the highway it's all mm -hmm. or nothing silver bullets and that super black and white language in conservation like soil erosion versus invasive species <laughs> control it's just we've got to be able to sit down and talk about this with our without our heart rates going yeah. through the roof 
And I find that to be the most challenging part of conversating with people who aren't in the conservation world, just Mm -hmm. random people I meet out there and we start talking around the fire pit or whatever. And I always feel very pressed to take a stance Mm -hmm. and to say, this is concrete, this is absolute, why we need to do this. And when I don't do that, I have found that people are like, so you're saying you don't know and you you just think that this is what we should do? (laughs) They get really disarmed. They're like, that's cool, man. You're coming at this with your... I just feel like there's so much like we have to do it. And this energy can be so malproductive. Yeah. It's hard to battle. (laughs) Every time I go to a community meeting, I'm battling it, yelling at the developers. The earth is not a commodity. (laughs) Calm down. Yeah, gosh. Yeah, I think I come at it a little differently. It's just very nuanced and complex, that that whole history too. So I don't know, I, I feel like I would dig in more <laughs> probably because like I'm more of the mind that I know the way, I feel the way because I am the desert. Yeah. Like everything that I'm made up of is from here in this region. This is the place I know, this is the place I'm from. And that it's been that way for generations. I don't know. I, I yeah, that can be a little hard-headed, but I feel like I it mean, comes from both ways to be though. Alive, so <laughs> people want to shut you down because of what is happening now. Mm-hmm. I feel like that hard line of but that's not real anymore. No, she's very real. This is very real. Yeah, and we can't ignore the past. Just like these people who come in here and say. My family's been doing this for three generations. Yeah. Where's that entitlement gonna go as far as cooperation? And I feel like the disrespect that humans show each other when trying to be right is the weirdest thing. I'm not saying you're being disrespectful. No, 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 of course. (laughs) We just talking. It really just comes down to education. And what you said before is what I firmly believe too, is everybody needs to be brought up with this kind of stuff. And that's how we were brought up way back in the day. That's how my grandmother taught me about plants and different things that we do with plants. Why isn't that part of the conversation? Why hasn't that been part of the conservation conversation all this time? Because people are so disconnected from their surroundings doesn't even make sense to them. They just see desert and it's dead and dry and brown and they don't like that. The ideal is green, lush, trees. And then we have all the issues that stem from the forest being overgrown. Like we can't cut down the trees. Okay, they're gonna burn because everybody's competing for the resources, the sun, and you have all these dried out trees that, that can't make it. And that's when we get fires. It's like all of that stuff we encompassed all that, all that learning generations and generations ago. And then it's only now that we're being called on. So, I don't know, it's a little, again, complex, frustrating at times. Because another issue is like we, a lot of us have been far removed from that stuff. So we don't know sometimes and you're being, shaken by organizations like we want this knowledge give it to us now we need it it's like we don't know it anymore (laughs) sometimes it can be like that please speak on behalf of all native peoples (laughs) no absolutely not i speak for myself no i speak for my family and the land and how i understand it i also run a hiking group with my good friend sienna thomas we regularly host hikes for indigenous women and this is an indigenous centered group so what we do is we just 
get together, talk, gossip. We just share good times on the land and getting to know different women from our area. Usually we're related in some way, <laughs> which has been really wonderful because we've done a hike like out in the Santa Rosas and we, one of the women came and we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm related to so-and-so and it's, it's just really cool. And uh, yeah, we get people up from Menifee come out, way out from Riverside. They'll come out to the Coachella Valley for hiking. And yeah, it's been really great to, to lead. And we're, we've got a little website coming out soon too. And it's more just for us to reconnect with ourselves and then enable the ladies and families. And we do have all-inclusive hikes too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll, I will have us invite an outside person come in as a guest to share in the experience. And yeah, it's been really wonderful. You can always watch or follow along or support us on Ach uh, at Achiquin Hikes on Instagram and then soon to be achiquinhikes.com. Nice. And we're not, it's just basically a community group, but we've toyed around with the idea of maybe we can have a tip jar. Like if people want to provide five or six bucks for gas, because yeah. it does take a lot to, to ask ladies to come out from different areas. That'd be great. That's one of the dreams we have for it too. It's not really, it's a resource for ourselves and to some extent the, com the larger community, but we just want to enjoy the land comfortably. <laughs> People like to think that we're at this hilt of intelligence, of we're gonna get things done. And it's just channeled into the wrong areas, just channeled into the same old, we're gonna do what we were doing before, just more efficiently, or with maybe a little bit of maybe carbon offset or something. It doesn't work. <laughs> think your way out of this in a better way, in, in, in a way that's more informed. It's just always, we're informed this same old going on. Oil, I saw a bumper sticker. Somebody was like, I love fossil fuels. I'm like, oh my gosh. When did it become a joke that <sighs> these resources are, are going to run out? We're existing now on a timeline where if I had kids, they would be <laughs> extremely affected by climate change. <laughs> like it's happening in this lifetime, like none of us, all of us alive right now are going to be facing this. We're already facing it. Even in my 44 years, I've seen the desert go from one thing to another. I remember plants and seeing a lot of different animals in areas that I don't see them anymore. And uh, it's just so frustrating to know that people don't pay attention to that <laughs> that it's not normal it really is not normal and if we were intelligent if we were you know we're all basking in our collective connectivity but are we using it the right way are we are we focusing it on a new way to be or a new old way to be because right. the indigenous ways were sustainable we didn't <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe people would say yeah but you don't have Starbucks. We had goods, we had services. It's just a different way that was completely sustainable for thousands of years. We did it in a way, yeah, there was less people, there was less of us. But I think right now I mean, our population is bigger, but there's room on the land for everybody. That's not an issue. I don't, that's not an issue for me, but it's the way we're using our resources. That's the issue. So it's really got me fired up, Chris. It's too fired up for a Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs>
So we have saveoursprings.org. If you want to visit there, we are going to be doing a couple different events in the fall just because it's warming up right now. So I'll have a couple different events and these are indigenous centered. And it's very important to me and to us to be able to do this, to reconnect kiddos and families and take them out into the desert spaces that we don't get to visit that often. That's what we're doing. We want to make that connection to fire our people up, to mobilize them, to get them to understand that this is worth the fight. That's another thing mm -hmm. too. We're tired of fighting, but, yep. and we always have to choose the battles and we have a lot of battles that we're dealing with right now. So this is important to us. It's important to me. So saveoursprings.org. Is there a way for people to make donations there so that yes. they can help yes. these events happen while not necessarily tagging along themselves like you have let me do? <laughs> Absolutely. You're able to donate to the cause because it does take a lot of funds. We are a nonprofit organization, so we do need to provide transportation and lunch and programming for our families to make them comfortable and have let them have a wonderful day. Before we tell them terrible news. <laughs> yep. yeah. Which is my job. That's yes. the terrible news is what I handle. Exactly. It was really interesting having to suddenly readjust what I was going to say to accommodate an audience of seven-year-olds. It's okay. I can go into the politics of the former administration and the Department of the Interior and conflict of interest, or I can talk about water and animals and... But what? it's really sweet because one of the kids had a little story like that. Like somebody's trying to take this water away. Like they got it. They understood mm -hmm. it. That's wonderful. <laughs> I think my favorite part of that was, and Chris is upset about that. <laughs> Chris is upset about it. <laughs> no, I don't think that they got that on video. I really wanted it on video. <laughs> it was obviously really wonderful to see the the light in the kids' eyes as they were mm. running around and confronting like cliffs and being told, don't get too close to the edge and all that kind of stuff. I but no, thing is like I, in planning everything, one of the things I was gonna do is do a safety talk as soon as everybody gets out of the car and tell them what to do, what not to do, what we wanna pay attention to, you know, reptiles, sometimes mm -hmm. snakes can be out. It's a very good area for the Mojave Green, which I haven't met yet. I really am looking forward to They're it. They're sweet. Uh-huh. The first thing that every th the first thing that they do, the kids just spill out of the cars yeah. and just go wild into the desert. And I'm like, ah! <sighs> it was wonderful, but also just as a volunteer coordinator, I'm like, oh, taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really cool to see the adults were all taking collective responsibility for the kids being mm -hmm. okay. But at the same time, that was just right at the surface, and then there was this for those grown-ups that hadn't been there before. They had the mm -hmm. same light. Yeah. And that was really cool. You don't see that as often. Kids are like so much more unguarded. Yeah. I know there's a few different postings that I had seen from the participants, the adults, and it was, it's really wonderful to see that they had a good time, that they had never been there and just how beautiful the area is and what it meant to them to actually be able to go see it. Now we were gonna go see it in the future, which yes, we need to do that. It's very important to me to visit different areas, different places where you know, 
quote unquote, it's very popular to hike. Those mm -hmm. are indigenous spaces. Yeah. So my good friend and cohort, Sienna, who we run the hiking group together, one of the things she taught me was always welcome people. No matter where you are, you could be in the city and just say welcome, because <laughs> this is your land. <laughs> so that's one of the things that we like to say. And I do mean it in my heart, welcome. And just when I say that, I just want them to realize that they are in an area that is native and that there are things that you have to do to respect it. Doesn't mean you just go climb all over everything. It doesn't mean that everything has to get geotagged on your Instagram. Not everything has to be amplified in such a way as to cause it more harm. This is how we see with the super blooms, the wildflowers. I've taken to just literally saying, here, flower, <laughs> like on my posts. <laughs> I won't say where I am or what the flower is, just because even that gets, my friends are botanists and scientists and everything, and that's great, but it all starts with just wonder. Here, mm -hmm. Look at this beautiful picture of this flower I found in the desert. Go learn about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Or maybe that's just fatigue. It's only that's, seven years that I've been in conservation. That's a real thing, though. <laughs> I think it's seven-year cycles, like relationships. Oh, yes. This is Laria Tridentata, the creosote, Atacola. <laughs> yeah, I, me I remember when I was first starting to get into plants, it was <clears throat> as a result of having a job in a nursery in D.C. And I'd get out to Shenandoah National Park, and I'd see roadside stand of borage just mm -hmm. in full bloom. And I knew it was from Eurasia and I knew it was invasive and causing environmental problems, but I had never really seen it in full bloom like that. And it was just there and like psychedelic purple indigo. And it's a moment that I absolutely will not forget. And I felt really connected to the place that I was in, even though it was parking lot with stripes painted on it <laughs> with an overlook down onto some farms. But yeah, it really is a solid, like you said, gateway drug. And we were talking about that the other day over in, in our wildflower jaunt out there. The thing I like about the welcoming people is it, it seems like a really positive and creative subversion of the routine land acknowledgement thing that, yeah. that folks do these days. Which... Land acknowledgements are for more other people, not for us really. It's a, and I, I'm just speaking for myself. It's it's gotten to the point where is it for real are you really saying this or is this just something you're getting out of the way like i now i'm bearing on that side so i i don't think i'll ever be roped into doing one again <laughs> i know where i am yep. <laughs> i appreciated the gesture when it started and i think people generally really intend to mean well with them. And at the same time, I think of sitting down to dinner in Vienna somewhere and having the host say, first off, I'd like to acknowledge that the painting on the wall there is the traditional property of the Rosenberg family. <laughs> and just, okay, what do you do next? Yeah. yeah. I think it just all comes down to, again, just teaching people yep. how, to, how to function on the land and the space they're in. Because that's inherent to us, but doesn't seem that way to the larger community sometimes. I have a question. I don't know if it's appropriate for the episode or whatever, but, or if you even will want to answer it, <laughs> which you're free to not answer any question ever. All of my ancestry that I know of is, we're all European immigrants. And I think I'm third generation here and I'm second generation born and raised in the United States. 
and I'm I am born and raised in Southern California and it's really a shitty feeling to feel like you have no home there's no place that like my family comes from and when I look into okay I've got some Russian mollicans you know the milk drinking religious people and I, there's a few things that I can find they're like oh the founders of Nantucket they were pro-women's rights, they were you know, anti-religious, and little facets of my past have made me feel some connection to who I am and where I might belong. But it is such a shitty feeling to be so strongly feeling the earth and feeling so connected, but not feeling like I have anywhere that I truly belong. As a white person here in this land that is not mine, that I am the descendant of the invaders. Do you have any advice for how one could respectfully feel like they belong here? It's a very tough question. I know. Yeah. Let me think on it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy. I think generally there are a lot of people that feel the same. And I would say just getting to know your environment and getting to know your ecosystem and getting to know the cultures that surround you give you a good toolbox to, to make your home, to feel a certain way about an area is the beginning. And if the best way to, to make it your home is to respect it. That's the simple truth. Doesn't mean you have to adopt our ways or adopt any anybody else's ways. I think growing where you are, growing your community and concentrating on that, teaching everyone around you about what's important, about the environment, about the cultures around them. That's the beginning. That's all we can do. And that's all we do too. All we do is become a part of where we're from. That's basically every single indigenous person and indigenous group on the, the entire planet. We just are where we're from. And that's what you have to do from scratch. You're in the same place. <laughs> You're in the same place we began at. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then the future, maybe will be this whole amalgamation of all the different cultures, mm -hmm. I would hope, with respect to each one, but also just one so i hope i gave you something <laughs> i feel like you spoke to my journey which is it's heartwarming because i want to have the utmost of respect for this place that i call home I only moved here 10 years ago and i fell terribly in love with the desert just all the ways the good the bad and what some would call the ugly which i don't think exists but i don't know it can get pretty ugly <laughs> death is ugly How you yeah, have you been the king of the hammers <laughs> oh my gosh i was just referring to nature in her raw self what oh. we're doing up in it yeah it's a de that's the ugly category <laughs> i've just tried my best to honor the land because i feel like humans in general particularly in a capitalistic society they're just everything is a resource yeah everything to be taken has a cost yeah. and it, and it just hurts i don't feel that way at all and this podcast is like a bigger way for me to instead mm -hmm. of just one-on-one -on -one with people that come to see me and i take them out into nature and i'm trying to 
flick seeds and nuggets into them to have yeah. them start learning more and getting into respecting nature instead of just it's not just a form of entertainment it's not just there yeah. for you to consume it's the symbiotic relationship and I have found found peace there but yeah. no the, same bro same bro. it's like <laughs> I that's what you have to start with yeah. just planting those seeds and telling people whoever will listen yeah. you know this is significant look at this flower <laughs> look at this rock not rocks in my case because i'm not a huge fan of geology i look rocks. at rocks <laughs> rocks are rocks i get it geologists can look at a rock and tell a story tell the story of the human not even the human the, the lifespan of the earth yeah but i'm like over here looking at chuck wallace going, yeah. wow chuck wallace <laughs> oh. i love that about how people have different just their natural personality gives mm -hmm. them the ability to focus on Chuck yeah. Wallace or rocks mm -hmm. or down there in the wash where you were complimenting your monitor friend there. She just doesn't have any fear to say what mm -hmm. she wants to say. And some personalities are like that regardless mm -hmm. of skin yeah. color, but I know that I'm more like you mm -hmm. where I find it very difficult to do the, I don't think, I don't know how to say this, but you can't do that. And then like the film crew that came here last week it was very awkward for me to do and i'm thankful that i had a couple of three people with me who are visiting from out of the area one Peo, pam kawachum and other couple from i believe it was san francisco area so probably alone or something but they were with me and we saw them coming and i was like oh i think they have a camera and uh mm. in the back of my mind i'm like okay i can, I can do this i can do my job <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I had to walk up to them, <laughs> a group of people, and say, hey, what are y'all doing? And trying to be how I naturally am. I'm pretty nice. But she starts crying. Yeah. And I literally just told you, you, you can't film here. <laughs> the, the crying deal, though. I, I didn't understand that. Ooh. Hi. No, oh, she probably cries when she gets speeding tickets, too. Uh. I don't know. I guess I could see that. I would cry too if I got a speeding ticket. I've never gotten a speeding ticket. Knock on rock. Yeah. Ow. I, <laughs> I am really grateful for the background music. I know. Kachel, kachel singing. Stargillia. I was just going to ask. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> What a beauty with those long stalks that mm -hmm. transition from this deep sienna red to that bright spring green at the bottom. Those stems are all that beauty. Good job. Gosh. <laughs> what? I'm talking to the plant. Good job. God, you got that down. You know how to gradate from red to green. Complimentary colors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one, of my, one of my dreams is like a full-on survey, Kauia, the three different dialects, and whatever we don't have a name for, why couldn't we come up with a name? Because yeah. there, there are names. Some of them people hold as secrets. <laughs> and, but the thing is, like, the young folks need to be brought up with all of those names, too. So we need to have a dictionary. And that's one of my goals. <laughs> Place names, too. Place names as well. See, but that's like a different, it's, it can be sensitive too, because we lost. I won't say they're lost, because they're not lost. They're just either people can't remember them. But the whole thing is we were <laughs> destroyed and, mm -hmm. and, you know, those, those things were erased in a very targeted way. Yeah. So it, it's work to get back there. Yeah, And it's for worth sure. it, but it's definitely worth it. And I can imagine that 
if people did the work to get back there, they might not want to mm -hmm. always share it with yeah. greater society. It's not like Denali necessarily. Yeah, even I hesitate to say it. Like I show different people different things when they come here. I show indigenous folks more than what I show regular folks. But I think that's it. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. that's all, I feel like that's your heritage yeah. is to pass that mm -hmm. information on in that way. Yeah, exactly. Gatekeeper. But at the same, at the same <laughs> yeah. time, people can say that. No, we, say, I'm good yeah. way. I'm singing it to you like a <laughs> like bird song. As someone who lives with two dogs that want to kill each other, <laughs> I am a big fan of gates. Gatekeeper. <laughs> um, you come up with a theme song. Gatekeeper. Yeah. Keeping it in. Keeping you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's one by Fitz in the tantrums. I can make your hands clap. I hear you should get your land back. I have several songs that I want to turn into nature education <laughs> anthems. Yep. Oh, hello. We got a little chunk? It's a little chunk. <laughs> I, maybe a chunk with this tail that is regenerating. Hold on. Because it looks... Let me see. I may just not get a chance to see him without making a ruckus. Maybe it's a little chunk. I, I just mean like... The tail seems a little short. Yeah, I thought so too. He's, but he's it's a chuckwalla. A chuckwalla. Chunk chunk <laughs> Maybe had a little early battle with the bird. Mm. <laughs> the chunk one. Birds, that's sweet meat. Get over here, sweet meat. <laughs> yeah, when I was living over on Mount Lassen Street, east of here, we had all of these iguanas all over and uh, you get the really tiny ones it was clear they hatched in the last year or two and uh, some of them would already be missing a tail it's just man life's tough life's tough for a vegetarian out here <laughs> yes. i started like pulling the desert willow and uh, creosote blossoms mm -hmm. off and just hauling them up and tossing them to them <laughs> there was at least one that uh, me and would come walking towards me when it saw mm -hmm. it was really cool Aww. little friend tried to do that with the iguanas in the new place we are in, east of 29, and then we had a family of roadrunners move in, mm -hmm. and they cleaned out all of our lizards. <laughs> they were raising a family. <laughs> They're coming back now, though. We do sometimes leave the airplane noise in just to be honest about it. Like, I remember there was a, I think a Flickr photo group that was photos of wild mm -hmm. nature and you couldn't post anything that showed any evidence of human interaction or things like that and I was like you sure about that <laughs> wouldn't the photo itself fall? yeah yeah I know <laughs> the reflection of you in the creature's eyes <laughs> there it is I've taken up tens of thousands of photos and hundreds of them I like I think my favorite is a series up in Tuolumne Meadows in Yosemite of this really fat, fluffy coyote in November, walking along, going up to Tioga Pass Road mm. and looking both ways and then crossing. <laughs> and I thought, smart. not only is there obviously a road there, but there's this behavior that the coyote wouldn't have if it wasn't for humans of yeah. looking both ways. And it's like, that's so much more interesting than just mm. a shot of a coyote standing there looking off into the distance. Yeah. That's my Moody coyote. Maybe that's why I'm so silly. Trickster. No. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Works for me. That's why I laugh so loud. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about the hiking group. So sometimes we laugh so loud. <laughs> <laughs> bouncing off the canyons but then that gives me that feeling like oh, native women laughing on their land <laughs> mm. and it's like a place like this and that happened all the time mm -hmm. is, we're in a processing site we're in a site that has hosted so many of those women and those culture bearers and the kids you can hear them just playing all over the rocks and, and hearing the ladies get down off that rock <laughs> You're gonna fall. I've been to a few spots this year, not too many for just to visit the nature, but the wildflower diversity here is by far the, the highest that I've seen. There's so much going on here. It is over, it is overstimulating because in my mind, I'm trying to remember the names of the, all these new ones that you mm -hmm. sent, just the ones that I know is, wow. <laughs> Everybody's here. We've got some asters over there. That that new guy thing. We've got those dandelions, the chia, the phacelia, the mallows. The it's overwhelming. The fiddle neck and all, like all the everybody's mm -hmm. just so happy right now. Everybody's putting on a show. Beautiful spring. This was actually the first place that I hiked with Lara. Oh, sentimental. Like, yep, Christmas. 2014. That's awesome. That was about the time that local neighbors who meant well were trying to clean the graffiti off of the rocks. Mm. And they just went out there and did it without consulting with anybody. They probably got a lot more off of the rocks then. Yeah. Yeah, side blotched. Side blotched, babe. Yep. I've seen a few whiptail babies too. Nice. The uh, most uncommon thing I've seen here in the reptile world is a rosy boa. It was closer to the spring. I love rosy. I cannot wait to go herping again. I feel like I missed out on the whole year last year. Because we typically, my little friend group, we go out to like on a loop, Oregon pipe, Arizona, Chiricahua, oh, nice. go look for different things. I still have not seen a Gila monster, but we're usually out all spring and a lot of the summer, <laughs> dark nights, looking for reptiles, just to marvel at them, get them out of the road, keep them away from poachers. Mm. We've had a few of those interactions. Also getting caught like with the fake snakes at the Fish and wildlife will be out. <laughs> Here's my license. <laughs> I'm not collecting, don't worry. But I could collect, yep. but I don't. I'm trying to get some bird singers, so we'll have a camping space, private, bring some bird songs back to the Mojave. Nice. Which I'm also determined to do, because we don't have a lot of, at least not that I've seen, a lot of cultural activities up here, not the same way that we do down on the, the lower valley, but I don't know if that has a lot to do with the demographics out here, but <laughs> it could be or could be just a consequence of that kind of concentration of staying on the reservation, which is a bummer, but I think 
the more and more we do those types of activities, especially with an ALC, the more welcome and at ease everybody will be in these old spaces that are our spaces. One of my goals is to make us more visibly out there in all the different agencies. There, there's a clamor for us now, yes, but I don't know. I just, I still feel alone sometimes or not alone because I know like my homie Sienna and I, but <laughs> we want more, more. Yep. Those indigenous people doing that work, it's not an easy thing yeah. to join up with these organizations. And that's something I've faced a lot of in my short career. The amount of distrust that my community can have toward a lot of these different organizations that I've worked for because number one, I have my mortgage and I have everything else to take mm -hmm. care of. And number two, it's important that we wedge ourselves in there. Yep. I think that the clamor, sometimes it can be overzealous, but that need for those organizations to now be pursuing us is a kind of the direct consequence of us being in there and saying, look, you need to get indigenous perspective. You need to do like over and over again throughout so many years. And now um, finally it's starting to happen. This episode, season two, episode eight of 90 Miles for Needles. We'd like to thank Elizabeth Page for her time and sitting out there with us on a beautiful Saturday morning. We would also like to thank our most recent supporters. They are Daniel Southard, Shelby Logue, Nick McElroy, Cindy Bernard, Eric Stamper, Gretchen Grunt, and Zoe Dagan. If you want to join the ranks, you can text NEEDLES to 53555, or you can go to 90milesfromneedles.com slash donate to find a bunch of different ways you can help us out. I also want to thank the following listeners and supporters for agreeing to join our new board of directors. They are Lucas Basulta, Caroline Partamian, Eileen Lynch, Brooke Binkowski, Stacy Villalobos, and Matthew Crotty. We have high hopes for continuing this year, and it is gonna be fun. Coming up are episodes on poaching of reptiles, on the potentially disastrous Cadiz water mining project, and on any number of other things. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time around. Thank you.